what do we need to do as a financial institution? Banking, yes, check. Loans, check. Investments, check. We do all of them. But it's not about making it better. It was, making, it was, it was about checking the box. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 227 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Mart Voss to the show. Mart is the founder and CEO of Echo, who is making it possible for every financial brand to offer a digital investment solution. They call this investments as a service, and Mart believes every bank and credit union can make the investing experience truly personal for their account holders. Welcome to the show, Mart. It is so good to share time with you today, buddy. It's a real pleasure to be here. Before we get into talking about what you see as the future of financial services, fintechs, how it all intersects, um, what's good for you right now? Personally, professionally, it's your pick to get started. I'm in the Netherlands. Like I'm, uh, I'm from the Netherlands. I'm, I'm in the, the home I grew up in. It's the Dutch countryside. I live in New York, uh, and it's the exact opposite of New York. Uh, I, I, there's, there's more cows around me than people, <laughs> uh, and that's nice for a change. So you know, that's that's pretty good. That is that is good. And when we first connected, I was sharing how my my family came over from the Netherlands to settle, settle Nederland, Texas. Um, and it is such an interesting story. It goes back to like the late 1800s. So there's definitely a connection there. And, and speaking of other connections, one of the big problems that you've connected um, looking at, at financial services and financial brands is how they are struggling to attract and even keep younger members, younger account holders. What are you seeing and how are you connecting the dots? And and more importantly, where might there be a disconnect between leadership and then the younger account holders from your point of view? Right. Yeah. This is this is basically the 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 most important thing that I was trying to solve when I, I started. I started my company. Um, look, you know, to me, I was almost a little bit coming in like an like an outsider. Um, I I don't necessarily have a banking uh, background, um, and when I really got interested in in, in financial institutions, in, in credit unions, original banks, you know, I just saw there was there was so much wrong wrong to it, and then basically, you know, I went around asking all my friends, like you know where do you bank? And I heard so often the same story saying like, you know, I, I, I was banking regional, like, like my parents banked there, like this credit union, but you know, they, they didn't really like offer the products that, that, that I want, that I need. And, you know, they're not that loyal anymore. Like I think people, my generation, there's a lot, they're a lot less loyal to their 
financial institution than than older generations. But I'm 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 28. Look, if if my financial institution is not offering me what I want, you know, you know, one Google search away, there's a hundred alternatives. Yeah. And, and and I do believe, you know, every financial institution has they have such a, a benefit that you know this is still the first place that that that, that everyone like every generation thinks about when they want these services but if they don't offer it yeah you know it's easy to find somewhere else so i kept hearing that in that story and i was like you know i want to i want to solve that i want to i want to fix that because obviously you know i don't have to explain how how important it is to keep your younger younger clients because if you can't then eventually it will be the end it will and i think what we're seeing right now is traditionally what were the days of the pfi the primary financial institution that whole idea has essentially been turned upside down and, and transformed because of decentralization. And we see the rise of fintech. We see the rise of neobanks. Neobanks are continue to expand. Fintech continues to expand at an exponential rate globally, where traditional incumbent financial brands, banks, credit unions, however you want to call it, they're they're contracting. Um, and so it's almost like this inverse going on. What is it that maybe the fintech and the neobanks are doing to bridge this, I would maybe call it a perception gap. Is it even a perception gap um, when it comes to a younger generation looking for financial services? Right. So I think, first of all, so what's the what the fintechs are doing? I think, first of all, I think they, they pray every day that, the financial institutions are not going to innovate um, because this is the whole reason they exist. I think second of all, you know, they just, they can adapt. They can adapt fast. They, you know, if any, any, any FinTech that I've been looking into that is doing very similar products than that, that, that banks of, you know, they, they maybe do loans, they maybe do investments, they maybe do, do banking, like neobanks do banking. They have a very short like feedback loop uh, they adapt very fast, um, and you know the word conservative is, is kind of banned. Uh, and I know that's a very far bridge from the traditional financial institution. And you know, there's definitely a middle ground. I think what financial institutions really bring is is, is the trust. You know, they've been around for 150 years. You know, we're not gonna like you know we're gonna stay. Uh, and and many fintechs they don't. Um, <clears throat> so I think I'm really looking for that 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 middle ground and I think in every in every innovation you have one extreme then you have another extreme is trying to compensate so much and then eventually you, you will find you, you will find the middle so i think if financial institution i've seen seen it more and more you know they have new job titles like uh digital transformation director or, or, or chief experience officer uh where they are constantly looking at what their clients their users their members want so I, I think that's, that's the start. And this is what fintechs do all the time. I think this is what traditional financial institutions don't do enough. But I, I'm seeing them like kind of reach like a middle point. Yeah, and, and I, it's, that, it's that middle ground, I think, that we're all trying to dance around. We're all trying to land on because as, as I predict we'll probably see over the next three to five years with the economic environment that we are moving into, 
we'll probably see some of the neos and some of the fintech there it's already happening they're losing funding some of them are already folding but that's that complete failure that spurred the industry along as a whole and i think it's easy to sit in the seat of an incumbent saying haha i told you so but at the same time that is not going to stop um we're going to see continued innovation and i think what you said before it's the it's the outsider perspective. Um, I recently had Una on, who's a, a co-founder at Lance.app, talking about her journey to launch an, a Neo for the freelancer industry. And she said it was just not having the traditional perspective that has allowed her and her team to do what they've been able to do in a relatively short period of time. They might not have the 150 years of legacy, but they are establishing a tremendous amount of trust in a very niche market um why do you feel that this is the case that the the outside perspective spurs on the innovation and the growth if you will for the future where the internal incumbent perspective it does it is rooted in trust it is rooted in legacy but let's talk about the outside perspective first because i mean that's essentially what you're bringing here is is you're seeing things differently than what others are able to see yeah, no, I think exactly exactly that. So, you know, what we're doing, um, we offer a, a, a digital investment product. So basically what we're saying to, to clients, to, 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 to banks, to credit unions, we're saying, hey, um, look, you've been offering investments for the last 30 years via, either you're not offering them or via financial advisor. And what we see is that when you actually offer it via uh, a, a digital solution, it's like, directly on your on your existing online platform you can convert like 14 times more people like 14 times and you know this this is a this is a good story now but the first time i told this story like two and a half three years ago when i started when i started the business no one was believing this especially in in banking i said you know we, we already have someone we already have someone who takes care of this like we have a financial advice you know it's been going well for many years and the, the 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 idea was really we're checking a box mm. like what do we need to do as a what do we need to do as a financial institution banking yes check loans check investments check we do all of them but it's not about making it better it was making it was, it was about checking the box and you know um when we started to build the product we really believe look, if you have a really simple investment solution you can start from ten dollars it's all right in your face you don't have to your bank is already connected you're going to see so many people more, so many more people invest. But the the market was so conservative, and everyone's saying like, "Look, it's a it's a conservative market. Not many people will, will will do this." But you need to be, I would always say, naively optimistic in these kind of things. You need to be a little bit crazy, right? Because everyone tells you, "Look, we've been doing this for forty years, like this." You know, I I don't know if if if, if people want this. You need to be naive. You need to keep your head down. You need to keep keep working on it. And the only way to convince people is by by showing the numbers, saying like, "Look, we, we did make it, and it actually does work." And and this is then where like, this is then where where we really see the change of behavior. Look, you know, you have an improved product offering. Look, there's more younger people going to your to your to your financial institution. You have more revenue, and and then people, you know, then you see the change of behavior. And I think this is the this is the the, the case for every for every fintech that works with financial institutions because if you're a fintech that works with like directly b2c it's different correct 
you convince one by one by one by one. And it's a completely different game. I, I'm pretty sure I would not have the vision if I would have worked in a financial institution for 10 years, because then I would think the same like everyone else. But like, there's no way, we cannot change this, it's been the same. And, and, and that's been that outsider perspective. I think this is where it really has, has a lot of value. You talked about it's a bit of education and I have a model uh, that, that I teach called the exponential growth blueprint. And it really looks at behavior transformation because all of our behaviors are rooted in the belief systems that we have. And those can be belief systems from our past experience, our successes, our failures. It can be even as deep as our you know environment, our family of origin. But it's those beliefs that inform the thoughts that we have that go on to influence our feelings that then inspire our actions, which when repeated become our habits that lead to our predictable future. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. Is it possible... Because then you start looking outside at other examples and other verticals where, you know, slowly over time, you know, new entrants entered into a marketplace and it was the legacy model rooted in beliefs of the past that they just didn't simply see what was right around the corner. I think blockbuster Netflix is one of the best examples of this that everyone talks about. And I, I, I'm bored with that. I'm bored having that conversation. I'm more interested in the training aspect because you mentioned education. And from the research that we're doing here at the Digital Growth Institute, we are finding time and time and time again, leadership, yet alone mid-level management, does not feel that either A, they have the time to continuously train, learn, or B, that things are just happening so fast that they're never going to catch up with the mind state needed. What is the cure? What is the solution to create that space and time to continuously learn of what's going on, not just within banking, but within a larger perspective that connects different dots because I that's I think that's how the world is. We're all interconnected now from different verticals. And maybe I know your story. Maybe first speak to how you got to this point because you were doing pattern matching leading up to this. And that goes back to your days and you know, kind of the your early days of the internet. So roll that back because I think it's the pattern matching of of people patterns that has allowed you to see things and, 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 and then we'll shift that into maybe how can we continuously empower and educate leaders within financial brands to see the same people patterns that people like you are seeing? First of all, I got to where I am uh, right now. One thing that was pretty significant, like 
happened is is there was this whole investing boom, and this was um, this was like it, during COVID, and when the when all the stocks fell and then jumped up like three months later, it was a crazy time. And then right. out of nowhere, everybody you know was talking about this, everybody, and everybody was going to Robinhood. And at the same time, I, and it is when I really got started interested in it because I remember. You know, there was a way to do investing everywhere, but okay, everyone was going to revenue. And then I kept talking, and I mentioned this before, I kept talking to everybody like, where are you investing? Why are you doing that? Like, where would you preferably want to invest? And then this, this, kept, this kept going back. This is kind of the, 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 pattern, the, the, the pattern that I saw, but we're, we're talking about education here. So this is not really a lesson yet. This is an observation. Now you're, you're slowly trying to get somewhere, but you're not there, you're not there yet. So, um, and then at the time I was, I was working, I was working at a, at a hedge fund, uh, and the first thing we built, and, and to me, it was kind of mind blowing that, that it was so, it, it was such innovative. Like we built for our, our clients, like a little dashboard so they could actually track their, they could track their investments. So they wouldn't have to wait for their monthly email every month. And just having these conversations and this is about millions of dollars and i was like you know you don't know how your investments are doing you have to wait every you have to wait every month for that like what this is it's insane you, you kind right. of want that in real time if you've got millions of dollars in play yeah. in the market like waiting till the end of the month is a very yeah, risky exactly. proposition and even already that like saying like you guys you know it's not really hard you know i can i can make that I can, like we can make that for you know like oh really yeah I said, yeah yeah Look, it's, it's, it's really so, you know, you start building it and you start, this is kind of the first education step is that even, so first you tell consumers that it's actually possible to live manage their, and you know, I'm, I'm talking about investing obviously because it's my product, but it, it goes for everything. It goes for, dig, for digital banking as well. Of course. It goes for, for loans, for digital loans, it's exactly the same. So first you kind of have to educate the, the consumer saying like, hey, this is actually possible, but like a financial institution, if they don't have it, you know, they're never going to educate you on it. So you really have to start with a financial institution. You have to start educating them. And educating, it, it's funny. I've seen so many different approaches work. Sometimes you say, like, more revenue. You know, you will, you will get more clients. You get more mm -hmm. revenue. Sometimes it's like you improve your product offering. You know, your, your clients, members, they will, they will love you. And sometimes, you know, younger clients, it's still like uh, you improve your revenue, more younger clients. Um, and, and I found it was so, it was challenging to, because everyone has a different reason to innovate. Um, and, but, but I think it always starts with ed education. It always starts there. It's just a small, very simple lessons, right? One, everyone is, everyone is like investing off, like, like not at their bank, but like off platform. Second of all, clients, they, they don't even know it exists at their bank or like they do know it exists, but you know, the, the financial institution doesn't know what the client wants. So like a dashboard or like like a low yep like a low threshold, and then putting them all together, you know, this is really simple. If, if I would explain every single one of them like like individually, people like yeah, obviously you know this is not rocket science, but you put them all in a big pot and you stir it, and then I just like oh wow, this is actually a, a product, and, and this is what we've been working on. When it comes to a younger demographic a younger generation specifically through the lens of investing i i think there are some trends to be aware of uh you know if if we look at the a person who works with a traditional financial advisor um 
they're at a different stage in their life. But the idea of investing is not something that we have to wait to do anymore. It's the decentralization again that empowers an individual. And, and I think Robinhood's a great example of what you saw coming out of, of the pandemic and, and the idea of even you know things blowing up like with uh, Reddit and, and the whole yeah. GameStop thing. That was a that's a whole like subculture right there. That I would say, if if you're not integrated and aware of what's going on in the marketplace, yet alone within a certain market segment, you might be missing opportunities. Definitely in the short term, but I think those are predictive trends to to look out over the next 10, 20, or 30 years, because like you said, you're 28, but fast forward to when you're 48 or you're 58, and an executive who might be in their later years, I'm not going to worry about that because I'm going to be retired in 10 years. That's someone else's problem. But but if we don't begin addressing those roadblocks and opportunities now, it might be too late by the time that you get to that later stage yourself. So it's always about, you know, keeping a heads up at the horizon line while still looking in the review mirror about where you've been, not getting complacent, but, but looking at the trends now and using that as a predictive model for the future. What's your take on that? Investing is a, is a, is a mindset. You know, if, if you start in, if you start investing, you know, you know, this is this is a big step, and it doesn't really matter if it's for ten dollars or a hundred, a million. It's like you you are doing the right yeah. thing, uh, and and I think it's almost like a financial institution's kind of responsibility to to offer that. And I think honestly, I think uh, yeah. a financial advice is great, and, and our product is always next. It's often next to a financial advice. Some people just want to talk to a human. Some people want to have everything digital. Um, you know, that, that is all fine. And I, I honestly think a financial advice is perfect in a way you, know, you can talk to someone, you can say like, you know, educate me more. Like, you know, I will, I will share my, my personal story with you, but it's just not, it's just not scalable enough. And, and it's not for everybody. It's a, it's a high threshold. It's, it's a long onboarding. It's, it's, it's just not, you know, and I think it's almost like a financial institution responsibility to offer, you know, investing because it's such a big part of, Let's say growing up. <laughs> Let's say taking good, taking good mm-hmm. care of yourself. And there's so much, coming back to the idea of the behavioral model, there is so much, once again, a person's belief mm-hmm. system. Is this something that I can do? I would say, for, for example, I am 40, almost 41. And if I go back to whenever I was 18, uh, they talked about it in school a little bit, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Now I loved reading and I read two books that pretty much changed the trajectory of my life forever. One was, um, rich dad, poor dad. And then the other one was the millionaire next door. And so that really just at the age of 18, I started seeing things a lot differently that guided my decisions going forward in life. And so I think where, we'll call it just the Gen Z generation compared to the millennial generation, compared to the X generation, compared to the boomers, things are happening earlier and faster. And I, I, I do see maybe FinTech and the Neo leading in that space compared to the incumbents. I think of um, 
a couple of, of, of people that we've had on the podcast, Chad Willardson being one of them, financial advisor, wrote a book called Smart Not Spoiled. And he is a co-founder in a startup called Gravy Stack, which is really geared towards targeting, you know, parents right. with kids. And we're piloting the, the platform. And it's teaching these behaviors at a much earlier age because it doesn't matter if it's $10 or $100 or 1000 or 10 I mean, it's, it's multiplied at that point, but it's the behaviors that we establish early and often that I think lead to, to this type of a future, like you said, mindset. Where's the opportunity for incumbents, banks, credit unions to not just provide the platform, but to offer the coaching? And I don't want to say the guidance because that's getting into the financial advisory space, but I would say just the coaching to empower individuals to establish maybe new beliefs around money that could help get them to a new future that was not possible previously. And I think it's very interesting, the, the financial advisor, like, like example, by the way, like nothing against financial advisors. I think, I think they're great and I think they're very much suited for a group of people. Um, but if you want a little bit, even if you want less not not guidance but less training or a little less uh less intense we, we don't we, we don't want a, weekly or like a monthly like like i don't want to be on the phone all the time i just want to like pull some money out like if you don't, if you don't right. want that um i think there's so many different like stages before that like levels of intensity i'd like to i'd like to to, to call it i think this is where like financial institutions can can help so much like some people all they need is a frequently asked question section. Like all they need is that, you know, it's completely mm. fine. Some of them, they might want to like call their financial institution once saying, hey, you know, uh, I did this. Can you help me? Like I have a question once a year, right? A different level of intensity, but yep. there's so many levels in between. And I think the best financial institution you know, can, can offer every single level instead of, no, we only, we only offer like this very, <laughs> intense level of of support and nothing else and, and i think it's, it's being right adaptive. like i think that's the most i think that's the most important thing meeting people where they are i like the levels of intensity that makes a tremendous amount of sense and i think i liken the the world of financial services to that of healthcare, um and maybe even health and fitness to be more specific because you know you can get a Peloton and that Peloton membership, you know, comes with, you know, uh, the ability to ride with a peer group, a cohort of sorts. Um, you could get a gym membership. You could get a gym membership with a trainer. And there's, a, once again, it's different levels of intensity based upon where people are. And I like the idea of meeting people where they are on their own journey because they probably will flex in and flex out based upon different stages of life even. Um, when you think about the future of, of financial services, what are you feeling most hopeful and optimistic about? You know, I, I do really like the, the way how financial institutions are set up in, in the US. Like, where all everyone has their regional bank, the regional credit union. Uh, you know, these, are, these have been around for so long. Um, and I sometimes, yep. you know, you, you need to really feel the, the need to change. And I think, I think we are, we are all feeling it. Like, I think the, the average, you know, 
no one really wants to talk about it, but you know, the average age of a of a, of a member or like a user in like a regional bank or credit union is just, just really old. And um, I, I see I see such a such a big change right now. I I see you used to like you used to have the CEO like mid mid fifties. They've been there for for fifteen years, and the only reason they're there is because they don't want to make a mistake. And if they don't make any mistake, you know, they will stay until they retire and it's all good. And, you know, of course, it still exists, mm. but that's no longer the case. It's not about like, not doing anything is making a mistake. And, and, and it really yeah. starts with like setting up, like how you set up like a, a, a company. So giving people different job titles, give, giving people different roles, really like talking to people that have the, the job title, a chief experience officer. Now, their only job is listen and bring that back to the team. Now, listen to all the clients, listen to all the users. They're like, you know, they're experiencing, you know, this. And, and, and that, that's, been a, that's, been a really, that's been a really big trend. And I think, you know, it's, and, and we're changing fast. Like 10 years ago, you know, banking as a service, like a digital bank, you know, many, many financial institutions did not have a digital bank. And it's almost... Yep. insane to think about it that 10 years ago like many of them also many did have it, but like many of them didn't have a digital banking platform uh let alone a mobile app for banking it was like essentially it was in its infancy and and you know we can roll that clock back because it's 2022 right now we're coming up on the 30 year anniversary of wells fargo launching the very first online bank back in 1995 may 18th 1995 and so when we hit 2025 that's 30 years and you see what the progression has been and i think your words right here and your thoughts are echoing anson cooley who i just had on on the previous episode uh and we were talking about the need for governance and and really oversight it's it's to put some pressure in a positive manner so that we don't get stuck in the cave of complacency. And you said a couple of words um, in your previous thoughts, and there was one that you said a few times. You said see, like see. And I can't help but think about, and, and also feel. Um, you, you mentioned see, you mentioned feel, and I can't help but think about the, the, the banking on digital growth process to where that is framed around helping people see what they cannot see to gain a different point of view. That leads to clarity, that leads to new beliefs, when, when you see things differently, then you think differently about your next steps forward. But just because you think differently does not mean that you're going to act or do differently. To bridge the gap between the thinking and the doing, yeah. it's the feel. And it's the, the, the feeling, it's the commitment to feel committed, to transform, to do something different because you're convicted, because you have inspiration or you've been inspired uh, or you have a vision of something greater than the present moment it's that feeling that's where i see the transformation begins to unfold and there was an hbr journal a harvard business review journal article um that was framed around transformation is more emotional than it is um uh quantitative uh it's it's really it comes down to to the feelings and the emotions that we have as individuals, as, as teams, and all of that gets multiplied up to the organizational. So it's a, I almost think it's when you're thinking about organizational transformation, quote unquote, digital transformation, 
I've always talked about EQ, emotional intelligence, being a key trait required to maximize future growth. But even through our conversation today just now, it's almost like not not just EQ, but OEQ, like organizational emotional intelligence. And that's from an internal perspective with our team members. But one of the things that you were mentioning before was at the chief experience officer and that job, that role yeah. is to just listen. It's like, listen to what people are saying, but also observe not what they're saying, but what they're doing because actions often do speak louder than words. They can say one thing on one hand, but then their actions would be completely different going forward. Most important thing, like hands down, when you would talk, you know, talk to financial institutions all the time and more revenue and more money, whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's anyone who works in a financial institution who doesn't want the best for their clients, for their members and for their users. But I think the way yep. like financial institutions have been for the last 20 years is as long as we're stable, we're good. And I think mean, th this is mm -hmm. where right now they're losing younger people because no, that's not, you know, sta stability is great, a hundred percent, but we will still go every, another place that, that, that is a little less stable, but has a little bit more of the products that, that let's say my generation, like, like, like wants and needs. And especially now everyone's talking all the time to each other and like, oh, this is, you know, and, and I would say, um, offering, offering a, a, like a, a good product. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to change mm. the product every, every three months, six months, you know, there's always something slightly better. Right. Uh, but just making a product digital, making it, making it accessible for everybody. I think that's, that's a really big step that, that it is so crucial there. Incremental improvements lead to continued optimization, which leads to continued growth. Mart, this has been a, a fantastic conversation today. And I thank you for the perspective that you've brought. As we wrap up, what is one next best step, something simple, something small, that the dear listener can commit to do to continue to move forward on their own journey of growth, specifically through the lens of keeping their eyes and ears open to new opportunities that they might not either A, be thinking about or others in their organizations might not be thinking about so that they can always be learning and that learning leads to continuous growth continuous growth what's that one thing that you would recommend that they do next you know you can do something so simple as call 50 of your your, your users 50 of your clients so like hey you know how we're we doing you know, how, how do you like what we're doing it you know it takes two three hours through day. you don't even need a chief experience officer for it right and everyone is always busy and i i get that you no know, i'm busy you're busy we were just talking about how busy you are i i was just talking how busy i am um but that insight, I think that's already that's already such such one step, um, and 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 try to try to have a real conversation, try to dig a little bit deeper. Like very often, the top of mind issues have like a you know, they have an underlying cause, and I, I just think that that conversation is 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 great to have because you know this is also this is this has been my journey, right? I you know I kind of jokingly say this, but it's true. Like four years ago, I didn't know what a credit union was. We don't have credit unions in, in the Netherlands. I, I moved only recently to the US. So all I had to do, the only thing I could do was talk to everybody as, as much as possible. The last four years, I've talked to so many clients, users, members. I talked to so many financial institutions. I was like, 
I need to learn everything that people have learned in 20 years. I need to learn it in two. And, and th those yes. are the conversations. You know, this is, this is where, this is where you learn everything. Um, so it's at least for me, it's been kind of like uh, the, the one ingredient of, of the magic formula. It's, it's not the only one, but a very, very important one. Yeah. And I think, that right there, it's about going all in on people, asking, listening, asking really good questions, listening to what they say, and then also learning through observation is a great way to continuously learn so that we can maximize our future growth potentials uh, at, at our own organizations. Mart, if someone wants to continue the conversation with you, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hello? LinkedIn, email, mart at eco.investments. Those are the, the best two. Connect with Mart. Learn with Mart. Grow with Mart. Mart, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.